Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to the beginning of a brand new, probably shorter series we're entitling Mixtape. How many of you know what a mixtape is? Got a handful of you. How many of you know what a tape is? I don't know about that. Cassette tape, right? It looks a little something like this. If you're watching online, you're thinking, I'm not sure exactly what a cassette tape is. It, it looks something like this. And so the concept of the mixtape is you would take these cassettes that you had, and you would take some of your favorites, and you would put them from all of your variety of cassette tapes, and you would put them onto one mixtape. But how many of you know it was a lot of work to make a mixtape? Not like uh, today's technology. In fact, you would many times have to have a dual cassette player or two. You had to have something to play and something to record. In fact, it got me a little bit nostalgic. For the 80s, I went searching through Google, and guess what? I found my boombox as a teenager. Here it is. It was exactly like that. That was from Sears and Roebuck. Just Sears. It was the dual cassette deck boombox. And you know, it had, it had the cord, so you could plug it in and plug it into the electric. Or there was a little component you could fold it up, put it in there, and then open up the other compartment to put batteries in that you could take with you wherever you want. Now, for some of you in, in our younger generation, you would have to put one of your tapes in the one side, put your blank cassette tape in the other side, and you would have to fast forward or rewind to get the tape and the song you wanted at the exact part, enter it into the one side, press play, and then hurry up and press record on the other one, and then you'd have to wait through the entire song to play because it would copy it as it played. And when it's done, you would stop. And then you would find another song and another song. And so to make a mixtape, a you know, 60-minute tape, a 90-minute tape, which you know, you'd play them and flip it from side to side. It would take you a lot of time. It would take you a lot of effort, you know. From the mixed tape came the mixed CD, a little easier as you might have all of the music tracks in your computer and you select and, and kind of play, uh, put them into a playlist and then maybe burn a CD. Uh, today, certainly a whole lot easier Something like cell phones, or you might have Spotify, or Pandora, or Apple Music streaming, and everything's digital. You just tap on it, click on it, and it's there. But back in the day, it was mixtapes. The concept of the mixtape was simple. It's your favorite songs all put together on one, rather than having to carry around 10 or 15 different cassette tapes so that you could find that one or two on each you liked. You put them together on one. Or the other concept was, and maybe some of you have done this, you would take and make a mixtape and give it to somebody. Maybe it was somebody special, you know, that, that special guy, that special girl, that special friend, and, and you, would find some, you would find some songs that were reflective of your relationship, and you would put them together on a mixtape, maybe write a little note and kind of hand it. To that special person. Anybody ever receive a mixtape from a special someone? Someone who was hoping you'd be a special someone? 
Or maybe it's just simply a family member or a friend, and you're saying, here are some songs that mean a lot to me. I'm going to make a mixed tape. I'm going to make a mixed CD, and I want you to listen to them because they're meaningful. That's a little bit of the kind of thought process behind this. But these are some scriptures and some parts of uh, the Word of God. We're not looking at Genesis 1-1 or John 3-16, some of the most well-known scriptures. But we're going to take a look over the next few weeks, a handful of scriptures that are some great and meaningful and impacting things that I believe God is going to have for you and have for me. So it's kind of a variety, mixtape. We're not going through a particular book. Taking a look at a handful of different scriptures. So our first one is going to be from the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. That's where we're going to be focusing. But turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 4, and we'll begin... Taking a look at the first handful of verses. That's going to set up what James is about to teach us in verses 7 and 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1, James chapter 4, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Anybody ever seen fights, quarrels, disagreements? Anybody ever been on social media? Anybody ever had family get-togethers? Right? So fights, quarrels, disagreements, discussions. He's saying, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So there, there's a lot of desires. There's a lot of things that are coming out. Verse 2, he says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. In other words, you'll do whatever it takes to get something you don't have. And then he says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Maybe we, we see a lot of that. People, they, they can't quite get what they want, so they quarrel and fight and disagree and, and try to seek to get what they want. And then James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. James is saying one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons you and I don't have some of the things is we simply haven't gone to the source. How many of you know God's the source? God's the one who can heal in your body. God's the one who can provide. God's the one who can step into your situation. And James is saying, some of the times you simply don't have because you're not seeking God. You're not going to him and asking. But then James follows it up. He says, when you ask, verse 3, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So, Part of the reason James says we don't have is we're just simply not asking. But maybe some of the other reason is we ask but with the wrong motive. We go to God as if he's the genie in the bottle. We go to God as if he's Santa Claus for Christmas. We go to God with our list and say, God, I want all of this stuff. James says sometimes you have because you, or you don't have because you're asking with wrong motives. Verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, adulterous generation, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? You can't have it both ways. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell on us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. 
Now, there's a lot of great stuff in there. We're, we're just kind of skimming over some of that. But it's going to lead us to verses 7 and 8. James is saying, listen, there's some fights, there's some quarrels, there's some disagreements. Things are not always perfect. And the goal is you and I are hopefully to get to know Jesus better, to have a better walk with God, a better and closer relationship with him. And James, in these next couple of verses, he's going to give us some insight and some principles on how we can do just that. Hopefully not to have the wrong desires, hopefully not to covet, hopefully not to have the wrong motives, hopefully not to have those kinds of quarrels and fights and disagreements, but to seek after God, to have that desire for closeness. And so how do we do that? James says, firstly, go ahead and give up. Well, not give up as in quit. Give up in the context of surrender or submitting. Look at verse 7. We've read through 1 through 6, and James is now saying, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit. It's a verb that means to yield to the power or authority of another. Yielding to the power, yielding to the authority. It's got almost a little bit of a military feel. Putting yourself underneath someone else in proper order or rank. Whether you have served in the service or not, you're aware that there's a variety of rankings. There are superior officers over you, and you place yourself underneath them. There's those with higher rank, higher authority, higher uh, ordering. That concept here of submitting, subjecting ourselves to the authority, to the will of somebody else, a complete yielding and dependence on the mercy of a stronger power. Anybody think God and his power is just a little bit stronger than you and I? I think so. And so we are to submit. We are to yield to him. Now, James here, he's using the passive verb, the passive form of that. And it's basically indicating this is a voluntary submission. We're not being forced to submit to God. How many of you hate to be forced to do anything? You know, when you were a kid and you did something wrong, or maybe you were mean to your brother or sister or whatever, and maybe mom or dad say, now go tell them you're sorry. It didn't always come out the most genuine or sincere, right? When you were forced to say, I'm sorry. Maybe you didn't look them in the eye and it wasn't sincere. You're kind of looking everywhere else and you're, I'm sorry, pulled your hair. James is saying this act of submission, this act of surrendering, this act of giving ourselves up to God, it's voluntary. We've got to understand he's in the higher power. He's in the higher authority. Place ourselves underneath him in the order and in the rank. So smash it all together. Voluntarily yield ourselves to the authority and will of another God. He is God. He is Lord. He is in control of everything. We're to keep our eyes on him like we talked about last week. Focus on him. Surrender to him. Submit to him. Give ourselves up to him. Now, F.B. Meyer was a pastor and evangelist in the 1800s into the early 1900s. And he had a dream. And he said, in this dream, he encountered Jesus Christ and Jesus wanted all of the keys 
to his life. So you can imagine in this dream, he's, he's kind of taking a look at his keychain. I don't have too many on this one. But he's looking perhaps at those keys, and F.B. Meyer said he gave most of those keys pretty willingly to Jesus. However, he had a few maybe that he was wanting to hold on to and kind of put back in his pocket and, and keep hold of. And he said in his dream, it's as if Jesus began to fade away. Then he said a quote that no doubt you've heard mentioned, preached, spoken over the years. He heard Jesus say this, If I'm not Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all. Lord, the one who's in charge of, the one who is overseeing all, he's saying, if you're not surrendering and submitting everything in your life to me, it's as if you're not really surrendering anything to me. So F.B. Meyer said he woke up, he got on his knees, and he prayed, Father, please take all of my keys and be Lord of all in my life. Lord of all. You've heard songs, perhaps, that have shared that. You've heard sentiments that said that, you know, I want to be Lord of all. And in our mind, we think, yeah, I, I got that, God. You're Lord of most. If we're being honest, many times we say he's Lord of most. Let me ask you. Let's, let's allow God to inspect us. What are some of the keys, perhaps, that you and I might want to hang on to and, and have a hard time surrendering and submitting to him? What is it that you might want to hold on to? Our money, possessions, time, schedule. What are the things we say, God, I want you to be number one in my life. I'll, I'll give most of my week to you. I'll give most of my Sunday to you. But boy, we get to Monday and it's school or we get to Monday and it's the job or the workplace. Well, now, now we're back to me time. What is it? I don't know what you might be holding on to, but chances are good. In our life, we've tried to cling to a key or two or three and say, I'll give most of me to you, God. I'll give most of my time. I'll give most of who I am. I'll give most of the things. And he's wanting everything. Many times, we're, we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to say, he's Lord. We're trying to say, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to surrender to you. And at the same time say, but I don't want to give it all to you. I want to live my life the way I want to live. And right off the bat here in verse 7, James is saying, we've got to give up. We've got to surrender. We've got to yield ourselves to him. The Lord, the Savior, the Master, the higher power, the one who's created and has all things for us. Give up. By yielding, submitting, and surrendering. Secondly, I think James says, stand up. Stand up. As we finish verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he will flee. How many of you know we are in a spiritual battle? The enemy is not happy when you and I are seeking after and following after and obeying God. 
So James says, submit to God, but resist the devil. Resist means standing firm against or opposing. You're not running. You're, you're standing strong and you're resisting. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee. I don't think it's an accident that resist comes right after James said to submit. These are things that go hand in hand. We're going to submit ourselves to God. And as we submit to him, part of that means I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to do both of those things together. First Peter wrote this in chapter 5, verse 8. He was talking about the enemy. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. And then he says these two words. He says, resist him. Resist. Many times that's that definition, that's the description of the enemy prowling around like a lion, a roaring lion. He says, you've got to resist. Submit to God, surrender to him, submit to him, yield to him, but stand firm up against and resist the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, we're also told about how to stand up against the efforts of the enemy. And if you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, it's about the armor of God, right? Stand firm then. He mentions about the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and he lists a bunch of these, what we would call defensive pieces of armor, and then only one weapon, because there's only one that's needed. He says, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. So all of these scriptures, they're encouraging us to stand up, stand against, resist the enemy. Resist the enemy rather than becoming like him. Are we to become like the world? No, we are to resist the enemy. I came across a story. A man was hunting turkeys in upstate New York. He wore camouflage and he made his very best turkey calls. Any of you do a turkey call? Well, if you'd raise your hand, I'd have put you on the spot. So maybe that's good you didn't raise your hand. The turkey call. So this man, he was dressed in camouflage, making his turkey calls, hoping to draw the turkey out so he could shoot the turkey. Unfortunately, he was apparently way too good at imitating a turkey. His turkey calls did not draw out turkeys. He fooled two coyotes. His turkey calls drew the coyotes. They must have mistaken him for the real thing, for they began to do what was natural to coyotes and attacked. He was apparently too much like a turkey for the coyotes. Kind of reminds us or nudges us that we can't claim to live one way and yet live the other Claim to be, well, I'm the human, but I'm going to act like the turkey. If we do that spiritually speaking, we might be the turkey. Sometimes we say, well, I'm a Christian, but yet do our actions, do our speech, does our lifestyle line up with what we're saying as, as a Christian? So stand up against, resist the enemy. 
Are we resisting the enemy or embracing him? Are we shunning the things that he has or embracing them? Our actions will speak louder than our claims. We're called to live different. We are called to be Christ-like. And James is saying to draw closer to God, part of it is submitting wholeheartedly, entirely to God. But hand in hand of submitting to God is resisting the enemy. Do both. Don't submit to God, but then turn around and say, but this seems pretty good over here. We submit to God. We resist the, the enemy. We resist the devil. James is saying, submit, resist. He says, give yourselves up and yield to God. Stand up and stand firm against the enemy. Thirdly, I think the encouragement, very simply put, is to move up. Verse 8, James says, come near to God, or some versions or translations would say, draw near unto God, and he'll draw near unto you, or he will come near to you. Isn't that a neat promise? You make the move, you come close to God, and he guarantees he's coming close to you. Drawing near, it's, it's that close connection, that personal relationship with him. You look through the scriptures and you can see there's a variety of closeness from a lot of the people in the word of God. As you read through the word of God, you see that there are lots of people in what might be called crowds. People who heard of or knew something of Jesus. They knew that he had done some miracles. They knew that he had some teachings. Maybe they were hoping to see a show. They just knew a little something about him. But the Bible also talks about there being followers, people who chose to follow after Jesus. And not like the crowd. They were followers. Within those followers, certainly Jesus called some of the disciples. There's 12 disciples that he personally called, and they were following after him. And yet in the 12, Peter, James, and John were some that had closer access than others. Jesus took them along on a handful of some special opportunities. And yet, one of them, the word of God says, was John who leaned upon the chest of Jesus Christ. Question for us. Which one of those are we most like? And which one of those do we desire to be like? Are we simply part of the crowd that says, well, I'm aware of Jesus I pop in and out of church. I, I pop in and out the word of God. I'm kind of aware of God, but I don't really have a close walk, a close relationship. I'm not really drawing nigh or near unto him. Or are we one of those disciples or followers who, who kind of follow at a distance? Is the desire to be hopefully one of the ones closest to spending time with God? The idea is he'll be as close to us as we desire to be. Another one of those famous quotes that you've probably heard a bunch of times goes something like this. If you don't feel close to God, who moved? Who moved? God's not moving away from us, but many times it's you and I. The, the choices that we make, the decisions that we make, we are in effect walking away from or stepping aside from God. And James is saying, move up, get closer, draw in. 
Make sure that you're doing what it takes to have that close walk and that close relationship. If you've got a friend or if you've got a spouse in a married relationship, you're wanting to spend time and talk together. Sometimes in the dating relationship, it's a lot of conversations on the phone or time spent together in person. You want to be as close as you can. You don't want to be away. You don't want to be apart. And yet sometimes the aspect of our heart or the aspect of our desire with God is, ah, you know, Sunday morning, that's good. I'll kind of get kind of close to God on a Sunday morning. That's good enough for me for the rest of the week. What could we do to draw close to God? He wants that close. He wants that relationship with us. Certainly a number of key ways, one of which is the Word of God. We mention this a lot, but it's very true. Get in God's Word on a regular basis, not just to check off a box to say, I read it, but the more that we read, the more we're going to see God revealed in His Word, the more we're going to understand what He desires in us and through us. Get into God's Word and know Him in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time connecting. Spend time, you know, as you would talk to a friend to get to know that person better. As you hopefully continue to talk to a spouse to further that relationship and marriage, no matter how long you might have been together, let's continue that relationship and our connection with God. Worship. Worship is not just a portion of songs, although that's a part of it. But how we worship God in church or during a song service or throughout the week, that can be a part of drawing close to God. And it's more about what we can put into it than what we get out of it. When it comes to a worship segment in church, when it comes to worshiping God through the week, it's not, God, what have you done for me? But, God, how can I, how can I connect with you? For some, it's, boy, I can't worship unless you sing my favorite song today. If you don't sing my favorite song, I can't worship. That becomes what I can get out of it as opposed to what I can put into it. God, how can I seek you? How can I get close to you? Prayer, God's word, worship, loving others, loving believers as well as unbelievers. Those who know God as well as those who don't. Those who are Christ-like as well as those who are far from. God, I want to have that close relationship with you. I want to I share that with others. How about as well, even in our finances? God, I'm going to surrender every part, every aspect of my life, including my finances. God, I'm going to put you first in them. I'm going to trust that you're going to go before me as I return a portion back to you. All of these ways are, are, are parts of how we can draw a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. James says, come near. James says, draw near to God, and he promises he'll come close to you. You, you draw near to God, he's not going to shy away from you. He wants you and I to be close. Come near to him. Finally, Finally, James encourages us to clean up. In verse 8, the rest of that, he says, Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Kind of carries a little bit of the thought, the Old Testament symbol of spiritual cleansing, washing of your hands before approaching God at the tabernacle. Washing hands is something we've done a whole lot more of and a whole lot better at here in this last year, year and a half of COVID. But the concept is not just physically, let's wash our hands with water, but spiritually, let's go to God on a regular basis for cleansing and forgiveness. He's saying, wash your hands, purify your hearts. If there's sin in your life, ask God to cleanse you, to forgive you, to make you clean. Turn from that sin and turn to God. We've talked about that as the issue of repentance. It's not just turning from sin so we can bounce right back into it again. We're going to turn from sin, turn to God. God, keep me clean. Clean hands, clean hearts, God. Putting in that effort, putting in that uh, desire, God, of showing I'm serious about being pure in your sight. How many of you have heard that term or phrase, squeaky clean? Uh, when, the, when the girls were younger, we, we watched uh, the, the Boz kids videos. I think one of the songs was entitled Squeaky Clean. I could sing it for you now, but it, you know, you just have to watch the video. But you and I both know things are squeaky clean if both surfaces are are really clean. Maybe you've kind of squeaked. You you take a bath, you take a shower, and you're kind of rubbing your skin, and you you almost squeak a little bit. You you clean a countertop, or you you wash the car, and you kind of run your finger across it, and it kind kind of squeaks. It's indicating there's no dirt in between the two surfaces. They're both clean, they're both pure, and they kind of squeaky clean. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're to physically just scrape and scrub ourselves all the time. This is talking about the spiritual aspect. God, help me to be squeaky clean, that there's no dirt, nothing in between me and you. When there's dirt in between us, we're not going to squeak. We're not the cleanest. May our relationship with God be pure, be clean. James is saying, clean up. Do we have a soft heart? Do we have a soft attitude towards God that says, God, would you not only cleanse and forgive me, but would you prompt me of what I need to be cleansed and uh, forgiven of? How many of you know God knows? God sees. If you've been through an airport, it's been a few years since I went to Tanzania and was in five different airports and all kinds of x-ray machines. You walk through and they scan you and you're like, how much exactly do you see of me as I walk through this? But you, you would take your bag and, and you let your bag go through the little x-ray uh, you know, line. And you've got all, everything in your bag is kind of wrapped up and zipped up, you know, all your underoos. Whatever you've got in your bag that you don't necessarily want opened up for everybody to see, you've got that all closed, but it goes through that x-ray machine, and they can see right through that into what you've got in there. Is there something there you ought not to have? Whether that's a, a weapon or whether that's, you know, five ounces of liquid instead of four, I mean, they, they, they look pretty detailed in there, Right? God is able to search you. He's able to search me. We might, we might be pretty good at kind of 
hiding things, kind of wrapping and zipping things up. We think nobody else might see what's taking place. God's kind of that x-ray vision to see, here's what's in your heart. Here's in, uh, what's in my life. God, would you cleanse me? God, would you forgive me? James is saying, wash up, be pure, allow God to clean and to cleanse you. Now, James uses that word sinners, and James uses that word double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Kind of an interesting word. It, it literally means a split personality. Now, some of you look at the person next to you and then just kind of smile. Don't say anything, just kind of smile. Some of you are like, yeah, split personality, that's him, that's her. Not, not personality-wise, but split as in you and I are double-minded. We're saying, I want to be following and seeking and serving God while at the same time following, seeking, and serving myself or the world or sinful pleasures. And James is saying, you can't do both. Right? He's saying, submit to God and resist the devil. So if I'm turning to, if I'm submitting myself to God, what direction is my back facing? The enemy. So if I submit myself, naturally I'm going to seek after and follow after God. I'm turning my back on the things of the world, turning my back on the enemy. But the minute I begin to turn around because something catches my eye over here, or because I'm uh, tempted and begin to, to give in, and I start turning towards the things of the world, I start turning towards the enemy and towards the devil, now what direction is my back facing? God. And James is saying, you've got to be clean and pure, and he calls us double-minded, and we say, oh, that's not fair. And then we stop and we think about ourselves, and we think, okay, James, I think you might have a point. Sometimes that does describe us. We kind of... Very. We go back and forth like, like ping pong, that, that great Olympic event. Ping pong, tennis. We bounce back and forth. I want to serve God and seek God. Oh, but this looks pretty good over here. Let me dabble in this a little bit. Sunday turns around. Oh, seeking God, following God, serving him. James is saying, be clean. Don't be double-minded. Don't be seeking after both. We've got to both submit to God as well as resist the enemy. We can't submit to both at the same time. We're going to be flopping back and forth. James says, be clean. Turn towards God. Turn your back towards the enemy, towards the things of this world. Choose one side or another. James is saying, here's a number of great principles of things that you and I can do to be closer to God rather than quarrels, rather than fights, rather than disagreements, rather than having covetousness for all these things that we don't have. James is saying, give up. Surrender and submit your heart and your life to God. Stand up. Stand firm and strong against the enemy living different from the world. He says, move up, draw closer to God, knowing the promise is true. He'll draw closer to you. And then James says, clean up, allow him to clean, allow him to purify, allow him to forgive your life of sin. <music> 